Section 21 of the Medici, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dick Bourgeois Doyle. The Medici, Volume 1, by G. F. Young. During the first eleven years of Lorenzo's rule, the chief events in other countries were as follows. In France, from 1468 to 1477, Louis XI was mainly occupied in a long struggle with Charles the Bold, the great Duke of Burgundy. The latter was in every way the reverse of his mean and crafty antagonist, and a far nobler spirit, while his wise reforms for the good of his country and his strong and enlightened government made him the leading ruler of his time. The struggle between him and Louis XI continued with varying success until 1477 Charles the Bold was killed at the Battle of Nancy. He left an only child, Mary of Burgundy, who inherited all her father's immense territories. Meanwhile, Louis XI, having exterminated all the greater nobles in France, had destroyed the feudal system in that country, and in its place had established a standing army. This was the first standing army created in Europe, and its possession in an age when nothing of the kind existed in any other country greatly increased Louis XI's strength. In Germany, the Emperor Frederick III succeeded in 1477 in arranging a marriage between his son, Maximilian, Archduke of Austria, and Mary of Burgundy, the sole heiress of Charles the Bold, by which Austria gained an accession of territory extending from Holland to Switzerland. This marriage caused a great change in the state of Europe. To its due, the rise of the House of Austria, and, we are told, it begins the era of the larger politics of modern times. In this matter, Louis XI entirely overreached himself. The rich and extensive territories which Mary of Burgundy inherited stretched along the most exposed frontier of France. By a continued course of elaborate intrigues, Louis, while amusing the young Duchess with a proposal for a marriage with his son, the Dauphin, which he never intended to carry out, sent troops into her country, corrupted its leading men, and then betrayed them to execution, played everyone false in turn, and was rapidly seizing her whole territory. To save themselves from him, the states of Flanders secretly negotiated with the emperor for the above marriage, which between their young sovereign, Mary, and his son, and in 1478, six months after her father's death, Mary of Burgundy gave herself and all her wide territories to the young Maximilian, and Louis XI, to his great disgust, had to disgorge. In England, the Wars of the Roses still continued debarring that country from taking any part in the politics of Europe. In Spain, in 1469, the year that Lorenzo's rule in Florence began, took place the marriage between Ferdinand, king of Aragon, and Isabella, queen of Castile, whereby, for the first time, Spain entered as one country into European politics. This marriage, uniting the northern half of that country, though the Moors still held the southern portion, in Milan, after the death in 1476 of the Duke Galeazzo Sforza, his Duchess, Bona of Savoy, governed for a time on behalf of her son. In 1480, however, her late husband's brother, Ludovico Sforza, commonly known as Il Moro, owing to his swarthy complexion, managed to banish her, 
placed her 12-year-old son, Gian Galeazzo, on the throne and proceeded to govern in his name. And as Il Moro failed to continue the policy of his father and brother in maintaining a close friendship with Florence, this made a material difference to Lorenzo the Magnificent in his labors to preserve the balance of power in Italy. In southern Italy, in 1480, just after Lorenzo had concluded his treaty of peace with Naples, Mohammed II, who after his capture in Constantinople in 1453, had subdued in succession Servia, Bosnia, Albania, and Greece, proceeded to extend his conquests to Italy and attacked and captured Otranto, massacring the inhabitants. This capture of Otranto by the Turks created great consternation in Italy and was a principal inducement to Sixtus IV to conclude the peace with Florence already noted. Florence agreed to maintain a fleet of 15 galleys for employment against the Turks until they should be expelled from Italy. For the next four years after his peace with Naples and the Pope, Lorenzo was continuously occupied in striving to create a general peace in Italy. Sixtus IV, still endeavoring to seize upon various states for his nephew, Girolamo, kept Italy in a constant state of war, in which Milan, Venice, Ferrara, and Naples were all involved. But Lorenzo succeeded in keeping Florence out of it, though for some time his labors to bring all states to peace were without success. In 1482, Lorenzo's mother, Lucrezia Tornabuoni, died. She had lived to see her elder son's triumph over the cruel enemies who had slain her younger son, and to witness the former's growing power as the needle of the Italian compass. In the many troubles and anxieties of the previous four years, Lorenzo had received much counsel and support from her, and he felt her death greatly. Speaking of it, he says, I have lost not only my mother, but my one refuge from many of my troubles, a comfort in my labors, and one who saved me from many of those labors. In 1488, Lorenzo's second son, Giovanni, though only seven years old, was admitted to minor orders with a view to training him for high office in the church. And at the same time, Louis XI, with whom Lorenzo's influence had now become great, conferred on Giovanni, in accordance with the bad, though not infrequent, custom of the age, the archbishopric of Aix-en-Provence. It's curious and illustrative of the prevailing views on such points in reading Lorenzo's own account of the matter in his memoirs to note how he evidently saw nothing incongruous in the matter. He says, on the 19th of May, we received the intelligence that the King of France had presented to my son, Giovanni, the Abbey of Fonte Dolce. On the 31st, we heard from Rome that the Pope had confirmed the grant and had rendered him capable of holding it, a benefice, he being now seven years old. On the 1st of June, Giovanni accompanied me from Poggio a Caiano to Florence, where he was confirmed by the Bishop of Arezzo in the chapel of our family, and received the tonsura, and from thenceforth was called Messiare Giovanni. The next day we returned to Poggio. On the 8th, June arrived advices from the King of France that he had conferred upon Messiare Giovanni, the Archbishopric of Aix-en-Provence. In 1484, all states except the Pope, being weary of the war, Lorenzo's efforts were at length successful, and a peace was concluded at Bagnolo, between Naples, Milan, and Venice. The news of it greatly enraged Sixtus IV, who was then seriously ill. We are told that on hearing of it, he became speechless with fury. 
and it has been said owing to this cause on the following day to the relief of all of italy he died he was succeeded by innocent the eighth giambattista cibo and this caused a great improvement in lorenzo's position for whereas Sixtus IV had been the bitter enemy of the Medici, with Innocent VIII it was exactly the reverse. He was much impressed with the political influence of Lorenzo, and considered it very desirable to keep on good terms with the powerful ruler of Tuscany, a policy which he steadily maintained throughout his eight years of pontificate. In 1481, the united power of the states historical of Italy, with the kings of Aragon, of Portugal, and of Hungary, was put forth to retake Otranto from the Turks, and upon the receipt of news, while the siege was proceeding, of the death of Mohammed II, Otranto capitulated. In Spain, Ferdinand and Isabella began in 1481 to drive out the Moors from the southern half of the country, a war which was to last for the next 11 years. In England, in 1488, Edward IV died, the boy, Edward V, was murdered by his uncle Richard, Duke of Gloucester, and the latter became king. Two years later, Richard III was himself killed at the Battle of Bosworth, and Henry VII gained the throne, putting an end to the long period of civil war which England had endured for thirty years. In France, Louis XIV also died in 1488 and was succeeded by his son, Charles VIII. The latter was a boy of 13, of weak health and small capacity. Louis XI, however, when dying, entrusted to his eldest daughter, Anne of Beaujeu, married to the Duke of Bourbon, the guardianship of her young brother and the rule of the kingdom during his minority. And for the next nine years, she governed in his name. She displayed a high intelligence and many remarkable qualities, her nobility of character, justice, and prudence gradually overcoming the ill will of her brother, the opposition of the French nobles, and the schemes of Maximilian of Austria, obtaining for her the name of Madame la Grande. Under her wise methods of government, the prosperity of France greatly increased, while it was she who enabled Henry VII to gain the throne of England. From the year 1480, Lorenzo the Magnificent remained for the rest of his life undisturbed by dissensions in Florence, and was able to devote himself especially after the general peace in Italy brought about in 1484 to those arts of peace which were so much more congenial to him than war. Not that his beloved studies were neglected even in the midst of war or the most pressing anxieties. In a letter to Ficino, he says, when my mind is disturbed with the tumults of public business and my ears are stunned with the clamors of turbulent citizens, how would it be possible for me to support such contentions unless I found a relaxation in learning? Amirato says, Being now completely free from foreign disturbances and having perfect quiet at home, he devoted himself to the pleasures and elegancies of peace, occupying himself in the patronage of literature, in book collecting, in beautifying the city, and bringing into cultivation the surrounding country, and in all those pursuits and studies which have made that age remarkable. And notwithstanding all the accusations of despotism made against Lorenzo, it is impossible not to notice that at no other time in Florence's history was she not only so respected abroad, but also so peaceful, prosperous, and contented at home which clearly shows that the form of government established by him was that which ensured the maximum of happiness to the greatest number, 
It has also been remarked that the civil equality to which we are accustomed in modern states, but which was quite unknown to the Europe of that age, was by no means unknown to Tuscany in the time of Lorenzo the Magnificent, which seems sufficiently to show that any despotism on his part could scarcely have been a very stringent character. Nor did political affairs, literature, and art absorb the whole of Lorenzo's attention, for under his rule all industries, commerce, and public works made enormous progress. And in after times the Florentines always looked back to the time of Lorenzo the Magnificent as the happiest and most prosperous period of their history. Nor was this confined only to Florence. Guicciardini commences his celebrated history with the remark that the time of Lorenzo was a season prosperous beyond any other which Italy had experienced during the long course of a thousand years and after a long panegyric on its then happy state, says that this was, by general consent, ascribed to the industry and virtue of Lorenzo de' Medici. At the same time, in the wider field of European politics, Lorenzo became recognized by all sovereigns as the leading man in Italy, and in the Florentines' archives may be seen letters to him from Henry VII of England and Louis XI of France, in which both of them address him as an equal and in the style of a reigning monarch. But the task of maintaining the peace of Italy, which had devolved upon Lorenzo, was one which taxed all his powers, and it is hard to understand how he found time, as he did for all those pursuits which Amirato mentions. Naples, the Pope, and Milan were only kept from war with the greatest difficulty. Nor was this all. Among the smaller states there existed a chronic condition of feud which required incessant watchfulness on Lorenzo's part in order, by skillful intervention, to prevent it from developing into actual war. He watched over the smallest matters in the politics of other states which might affect, however remotely, the welfare of Florence. Conflicting interests, mutual distrust, and veiled animosity made Italian politics of that time a perfect labyrinth of intrigue. And nowhere is the consummate statesmanship of Lorenzo more apparent than in those portions of his correspondence showing the masterly manner in which he dealt with the complex situations called forth by these conditions, and demonstrating the successful results which he achieved. But all this was not done without a strain upon his powers of mind and body, which told severely upon him, so that we can well understand the wish that he expressed that he could bury himself for six months in some place where no rumor of Italian affairs could reach his ears. In 1484, Florence was drawn into a desultory war with Genoa, and took Pietrasanta, and in 1487, Lorenzo himself conducted an expedition against Sarzana, which had been captured from Florence during the war of 1478 to 1480, and retook that town, an act which still further increased his popularity, as the loss of Sarzana had been deeply felt by the Florentines. In August 1487, while Lorenzo was absent at the Baths of Filetta, whither he had gone owing to his increasing attacks of gout, his wife, Clarice, died at 34. She died somewhat suddenly, and he heard of her death before he knew she was ill. In 1488, Pope Innocent VIII, impressed with Lorenzo's growing importance, desired a marriage between one of his sons, Francesco Cibo, and one of Lorenzo's daughters, a significant sign of the extent to which this citizen family were rising in worldly estimation. Lorenzo gave him his eldest daughter, Maddalena. They were married on the 20th of January, 1488, 
An episode in connection with this marriage gives us a glimpse of the simplicity of the domestic life in the Medici Palace. It is related that when Francesco Cibo came with a very grand retinue from Rome for this marriage, he and his suite were splendidly lodged and luxuriously entertained in a separate palace. But after three days, Cibo himself went to stay at the Medici Palace with his future father-in-law. There, astonished at the simple style of living, so different from what he had been accustomed to in the papal palace at Rome, as well as from that which his own retinue were receiving elsewhere. He thought that an insult was being put upon him. It was then explained to him that it was no insult, but the very reverse, that the luxurious entertainment was kept for those who were guests, but that now he was admitted, no longer as a guest, but as one of the family. In the same year, Lorenzo married, on the 22nd of May, 1488, his eldest son, Pietro, then 17, to Alfonsina Orsini, another of the same proud Roman family from whom his own wife had come. Judging from their after results, as represented in Clarice Orsini's son Pietro and Alfonsina Orsini's son Lorenzo, these two Roman marriages were not at all advantageous to the Medici family. End of section 21